We are in Acts chapter 20, and reading from verse 33. Acts chapter 20, reading from verse 33. And just to put this in context for you, this is the first message that we have of Paul delivering a message to believers. We have several examples before this of him delivering messages to unbelievers, but this is the first example of a message to believers. And in particular, it's to the leaders of the church of Ephesus, because we saw back in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when when they had come, he said to them, and so this is part of the text, that he's teaching the leaders from the church of Ephesus. So look what he says in verse 33. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them, with them all. And he began to weep aloud, and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Okay, so, the first part, it says in verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. That means that, to to covet means to greedily desire. Desire something that is not yours for yourself. To lust after. To desire something that is not yours. And... It's interesting that he he doesn't say, I have taken no one's silver or gold or clothes. He said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. It reminds me a story of of an incident which I had just recently when, when I was in Israel. There was a professor that was taking me to the religious university there's, it, it's, it's called Bar Elan University, and they have a, a science program there. And, and uh, he was driving me there, and his name was Isaac or Yitzhak. And we were in the car, and I was telling him about my life, how, how I was born a Jew, but I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And what I've found in Israel is that Israeli Jews are a lot more open to dialogue with me about this. Than, than our American Jews, and I'm not exactly sure why, but I hypothesize that number one is they don't feel threatened in their faith because they are the majority there and not the minority. And number two, especially people who, who are more religious, they have a knowledge of their scriptures, and so we could dialogue and discuss. And when I told them that, knowing that most of those folks have never met a Jew that believes Jesus is the Messiah, although they've certainly heard of them and they've been, you know, they've been warned about them. And, 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 but but uh, they're generally not, not uh, scared to talk. 
And he said, you know, I, I don't quite understand Christianity, he said. He said that he could never live as a Christian because he feels that there's, there's no boundaries. People do as they like. He says in, 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 in Judaism, we have boundaries that teach me what I can do and what I can't do. And it gives me a framework for my life because I have the law of God giving me that framework. And I thought that that was a gross misunderstanding of what Christianity really is. So I began to talk with him. And if you look back in, in, in Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus chapter 20, there are the Ten Commandments. And, and that's the second book of the Bible, and it lists then the Ten Commandments, and, and it lists it again in another portion. But this is the, the first incident of the listing of the Ten Commandments. And the last of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So that's the tenth of the Ten Commandments. And so I said to him, what is the hardest of your commandments to obey? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, which, is, which of your commandments is the hardest for you to obey? He said, I don't know. I mean, he said, well, think about it. Isn't the hardest for you to obey the commandment that says that thou shalt not covet? Because everything else is on the outside. For example, it says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All of them are very clear on the outside. But coveting is a much harder thing to obey, because coveting gets at your heart. It's a desire. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Remember, there was another commandment that says you shall not commit adultery. But you shall not covet your neighbor's wife has to do with what you're thinking here. What you're desiring in your heart. There's not a physical manifestation of it. And God is very specific. He says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. If this were written today, you shall not covet your neighbor's car. You shall not covet your neighbor's job. You see how coveting goes much deeper, gets at the heart. And I began to explain to him how Jesus actually raised the bar on believers in the New Testament didn't take away the bar, but raised it. And so you see in Matthew, and I quoted this verse to him in Matthew chapter 25, verse, verse 8. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Let's read it, verse 27. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So Jesus now is quoting the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments. He said, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Why did he say you have heard it said? Why didn't he say you have read? Because he's talking to groups of people, many of whom probably couldn't read, and, and there was an oral tradition that was passed down, and, and the scriptures were oral. And he said, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you see, in the Old Testament, a man was an adulterer by committing adultery. What Jesus has put upon us is, a man is an adulterer by lusting after a woman. The bar has been raised, has it not? You are an adulterer when you lust after a woman. And I explained this to to this man who was driving the car because it was about an hour's drive to the university there. And then I told him about another verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. There, there again is a raising of the bar that's there. Colossians 3, 5 says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. I'm sorry. Yeah, as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Look what he does. He says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. The King James translates that as coveting. Evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Coveting, the New Testament says, amounts to idolatry. Idolatry is the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image of anything that is in heaven above or earth beneath. And you shall not worship it. The first commandment was against idolatry. The New Testament takes coveting and says coveting amounts to idolatry. And it says the same thing in Ephesians 5.5. Coveting amounts to idolatry. You will never see idol worship in Israel today. Idol worship was fairly common in Israel, but then after the Babylonian deportation in about 650 B.C., that really broke the Jews of idolatry. And since then, there has been no practice of idolatry on any, any, uh, on any large basis in Israel. They're very careful about that. But now coveting is equivalent with idolatry, the New Testament tells us. So I said, you see, he has raised the bar. He's raised the bar on us. This is what's happened. And as I began to tell this man this, he looked at me, he said, this is impossible. This is too much restriction. This is not normal. A man's mind wanders. So here he went from thinking that Christianity was too loosey-goosey, there was no structure, there was no framework, to him saying, this is impossible. Who can live by such a structure? And I said to him, you are right. This is what calls us to cry out to God that it is impossible within me to get control of what goes on in my mind and what goes on in my heart. So I am constantly coming before the Lord and saying, God, forgive me. 
and help me that I wouldn't fall into coveting, that I wouldn't fall into a, a, adultery in my heart and thereby committing adultery. That I wouldn't fall into coveting. So what Jesus does is He takes this idea of coveting and He elevates it from being the tenth of the Ten Commandments to being equivalent with the first of the Ten Commandments. And He says, because it starts with your heart. Because that's where it starts. It starts with your heart. Look in in, uh, uh, Philippians. Philippians, just before Colossians. Philippians chapter 3, verse verse 6. Philippians chapter 3. Let's start reading at verse um, 4. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Look at the life of Paul. Although I myself have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Okay, so Paul is recounting his own life. Paul, remember, in the book of Acts, he's telling the leaders of the church, I coveted no man's gold, no man's silver, no man's clothes. Paul here is recounting his old life as when he was under the law. He says that if people want to put confidence in the flesh, look at my life. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was one of the commandments that the Jews had to partake in. He was of the nation of Israel, meaning that that, uh, um, he was a Jew by descent. He was particularly of the tribe of Benjamin. He knew what tribe he was from. And and, uh, uh, many many people feel that at this time in the the, uh, scriptures that people had no idea what tribe they were from. That is not true. Anna knew, it says, she was of the tribe of Asher. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. Paul says here he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He could even name his tribe. He says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he was of the highest class. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. He kept every detail, not just of the 613 commandments, but of the, the... the, the, the man-made laws that were around it. And as to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Paul said, no man could look at my life and could point out a single law of Israel that I violated. No man could point to my life and say, Paul, you've committed adultery, I saw you do that. Paul, you've done this. I saw you do that. No man could do that. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless. Or the King James says, perfect. Because coveting is in here. No man sees this. 
No man can walk. So say, say I'm walking down the street and I don't utter a single word. No man can walk up to me and say, Oh, you were just coveting that house over there. You don't know that. I said nothing. I did nothing. I was just walking down the street. Now, I may have been coveting, but no man could point that, their finger at me, because coveting is inside. This is what Jesus gets at inside. He says, as to the law, I was found blameless. But now let's look in Romans chapter 7. Was Paul really blameless? Look in Romans chapter 7. Let's start reading from verse 7. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know no sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. Look what he says. In me was coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive in me and I died. Coveting of every kind. Paul said there was nothing that anybody could pin on me as a violation of the law. But there was a violation. Coveting. No man could see it, but in my heart I had coveting of every kind. You see, this is why I said to Yitzhak, what is the hardest law for you to obey? Because I knew maybe I couldn't pin on him Lying about his neighbor. Maybe I couldn't pin on him adultery. But I knew that the man must have become guilty to coveting. Because coveting even got Paul. Not just one little, little itty-bitty coveting. He says coveting of every kind. The heart is the most devious thing. And this is what Jesus does in the New Testament. He raises this thing up. He raises it up to a place where coveting becomes so important. Jesus said, where a man's... Uh, um, how, how do you put it? Where, where a man's uh, treasure is, there will his heart be also. Where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also, Jesus said. So the thing that we value, our heart will go toward. He gets at our heart. This is what Jesus does. Constantly gets at my heart. He gets at my heart. Again and again, He gets at my heart. This is what it is to the believer. This is why Jesus, the, the Scriptures tell us in the New Testament that, that His Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. That He suggests to us, the Spirit does, this is the way, walk ye in it. That when we do wrong, the Spirit testifies to our hearts. We don't need just the exterior things to say, no man sees anything. On the outside, I am clean. Because Jesus said, I don't care just about the outside. I don't care just about whether you slept with your neighbor's wife or not. What I care about is, what is your desire? That's the depth with which I care. 
Because Jesus said, wherever a man's treasure is, if his treasure is in his neighbor's house, there will his heart be also. And Jesus said, I care about your heart. That's why back in Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I coveted no one's silver, gold, or clothes. Not only did I not touch anything that belonged to anybody, when I was in Ephesus, I didn't touch anything that belonged to anyone else. He says, I didn't even covet it. It wasn't even my desire to have that. Then he says, you yourselves know, in Acts chapter 20, verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and the men who were with me. And in everything I showed you that by hard work in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He says, my hands ministered to my own needs. I didn't take up a single offering when I was in Ephesus. The only offerings that we see Paul taking up during his missionary journeys was he encouraged them to raise up money to send to Jerusalem, which didn't go by Paul's hands. It would go by representatives of that local body being sent to Jerusalem. He wanted no one to misunderstand where the money was going to take care of the poor in Jerusalem. He raised up money not for himself, not for his own missionary journey, but he raised up money for others because he wanted to be particularly careful. Not that it's wrong to raise up money for a missionary journey. Not at all. But he himself wanted to be particularly careful to make sure that no one was raising an offense among him. He didn't take up an offering. He said, well, how did the guy survive? He says, my own hands ministered to my needs. We know, and we have examples of this, where he took, partook with... with uh, uh, um, Aquila, as a tent maker. Remember? So he was working as a tent maker. Paul was, would use his trade in leather works to supply not only his own needs, but it says, and the men who were with me. These hands ministered to my needs and the men who were with me. I worked with my own hands on these missionary journeys. When I was in Ephesus, you saw it. I was ministering to the church all the time. I was going into the synagogues, but I also worked very hard with my own hands to supply my needs and the needs of the men who were with me. I have seen many traveling evangelists. You have to be particularly careful when you're a traveling evangelist not to talk much about offerings. When you are going to be the recipient of the offering. You leave that to somebody else. Because what it does, even if you're totally upright with it, it leaves an impression upon the hearers that he's here to raise money for himself. You see what I mean? That's the impression it leaves. So if somebody is going to raise up money, let, let the, the church pastor take up an offering on behalf of the traveling evangelist. But it's not the traveling evangelist's job to talk about you know, the last church he was in and how cheap they were. This happens. I have seen it. I've heard it with my own ears. I've heard evangelists talk about how cheap this particular, 
not this church here in Houston, the church that I was in was to him the night before. You know, how does that make you feel? You, you can have a really sweet heart, but, you know, you hear something like that and you, you know, you kind of want to run out and vomit and then come back. Paul was particularly careful about this sort of thing. Look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's start reading from verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles? And the, brothers, and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right but we endured all things so that we would cause no hindrance to the gospel. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. I am not writing these things so that it would be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. For I preach the gospel, and I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I, I, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. So Paul says, look, I have freedom in Christ, like any other preacher of the gospel, to raise my living as an evangelist. But I have refrained from that, so as not to raise up an offense. He says, don't we have a right to eat and drink? He's speaking of himself and Barnabas. Doesn't he have a right to eat and drink? Don't we have a right to take along a believing wife? Look what he says. He doesn't say just wife. He wants them to know that when you choose a spouse, make sure it's a believer. Make sure it's a believer. And I underscore this because many believers find unbelieving people that they really like and they end up wanting to marry them. And they're unbelievers. 
So at this moment, when you don't have an unbeliever that you're considering for getting to know a little bit closer, listen to what I'm saying to you. Don't get involved with an unbeliever. Don't go dating an unbeliever. You may end up marrying that unbeliever. He says, do we not have a right to bring along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles? So he says, all the rest of the apostles have wives. And the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, which is Peter. Peter we knew had a wife because Jesus raised up Peter's mother-in-law from her sickbed, the scriptures say. And she waited on him. And it says, even the brothers of the Lord. Who are the brothers of the Lord? Well, we know James was the head of the church. He apparently had a wife. And then the other brothers of the Lord apparently got saved. And they were, they were being used of the Lord. They had wives. He says, but Paul and Barnabas, he says, Barnabas and I don't have wives. We haven't executed our full freedom in Christ, lest anybody raise an offense. We've taken not a penny from you. So there, there are times where we may have the right to do something, but we refrain from that right so as not to raise up an offense. That's okay to do. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I didn't do this. I didn't do it. And in fact, Paul teaches us contentment. Look in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having uh, abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This is a beautiful verse for bringing contentment into a life. Paul says, I don't speak from want. I don't speak from deep desire. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I'm happy in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. That means when, I do, when, when I'm hungry, Paul speaks about many times on his missionary journeys. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was in cold and exposure and dangers and shipwrecks. Paul talks about it and he says, I've learned to be content. Contentment is something we learn. You go into situations like this, you learn to give thanks. Paul says, give thanks in every situation. He says, I've learned to be content in humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. Some people, when things come, they forget about God. Paul says, I've learned to live in prosperity. There are times when I have more abundant things. And I've learned to live in that. I've learned how to live close to Jesus in that. You really want to have your faith tested? Make a lot of money. Not that money is wrong, but you really want to have your faith tested? Hear me. Make a lot of money. Moody used to say, nothing tests a man's faith like money. Like when he makes a lot of money. You want to see your faith tested? Make a lot of money. Not that money is wrong, but it is really testing on your faith. Far more testing than having too little. Because when you have too little, you have a tendency to cry out to God. When you have too much, you have a tendency to forget God, as it talks about in the book of Proverbs. 
He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. That means being thankful to God. Being at peace with God where, where He has you. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we had food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is at the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So he doesn't say that money has done this. He says it is the love of money has done this. When the love of money is there, it has done this. This is what it has done. Paul said, I know how to live with plenty. I've learned to be content in it. He says, but by longing for these things, by longing to get rich, you're going to pierce yourself with many a pang. And many harmful desires are going to come upon you. He says, he says that, um, if we, in verse 8, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So when you're sitting around someday having a pity party, that you don't have enough, or your car isn't quite enough, or you know the typical American things that Americans go through, and you're sitting around and, 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 and feeling sorry for yourself because you have so little. Just remember this verse. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Ask yourself, do I have food to eat? Do I have covering, meaning clothing? Do I have clothing? Do I have food and covering? If the answer to those two are yes, he says, be content. Be content. You say, well, a covering means a house too. You know, it says of Jesus, you know, there's no place in the New Testament it, it, it guarantees us a home. It says, even Jesus said, foxes have holes in the, in the ground. He says, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There's no guarantee even of a home. You got clothes on your back, you got food, and we've fed you this morning, and I can see all of your clothes. So you have no excuse from contentment. According to the scriptures, God has given you everything He promised you. He has given you clothing, He has given you food. You you can learn contentment. Paul said, These hands ministered to my own needs and to the needs of the men who were with me. Think about what this man did. The great apostle, the main speaker, the main speaker every evening, he would work extra hard all day to buy the food that was needed for himself and the guys who were with him. We had a pastor in Indiana. This man was 
the most amazing man. He's still there. He served like no other man I have ever seen. He was always the first with his hands doing the dishes at any church meal. He was the last guy to leave, always cleaning up. And it was a big church. There were a lot of things going on in that church. There were a lot of things happening in that church. A lot of, a, a lot of, uh, of, of, a lot of things were, were taking place. Chairs had to be set up. He was the guy that was racking the chairs. That man excelled in service. And you think, well, everyone in the church was lazy. No. You know what they did? They learned from that man. And everybody in that church was a massive server because that pastor was himself a servant. What was Paul doing? He was demonstrating through this, he was teaching the men with him. That when you serve, says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul demonstrated this. The main speaker, the guy who had to be already spiritual, he was the guy that was always serving. He was the guy that was working extra hard. That's why he says back in the book of Acts, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember, you consider yourself the main guy, you have to work harder to serve others. The main guy has to work harder to serve others, putting in more hours in service. This is what Paul demonstrated. The main guy works harder. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And Father, I thank you that we are utterly dependent upon you and your spirit to keep us from coveting. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would teach us to cry out to you so that we could be free of coveting. And Father, teach us to be content with food and with clothing. And to in this, be content. Father, please provide for us food and clothing and to walk in contentment in this. Father, thank you for your mercies upon us. And Lord, in everything, whether in humble means or in prosperity, that we would learn what it means to be content. Father, I pray for these young people that you would do a work in their lives to cause them to desire you, to seek you, to seek your face, and to learn what it is to walk with Jesus and to ex extract these precious truths from the Scriptures. In the name of Jesus, amen.